For marketing agencies and social media managers looking to prove the value of their work, I've got something special for you. Agora Pulse is not only Social Media Examiner's tool of choice as an all-in-one social media management tool, it also allows you to track the traffic, conversion, and revenue from every social post, comment, and private message. Learn how to prove your social media ROI with a free training or a free trial by visiting agorapulse.com SME today. Again, agorapulse.com SME. Welcome to the Social Media Marketing Podcast, helping you navigate the social media jungle. And now, here is your host, Michael Stelzner. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you so much for joining me for the Social Media Marketing Podcast, brought to you by socialmediaexaminer.com. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner, and this is the podcast for marketers and business owners who want to know what works with social media. Today, I'll be joined by Nick Nimmin, and we're going to explore YouTube for marketing and what marketers need to know that want to really take advantage of this absolutely incredible platform. By the way, if you want to reach me, I am at Stelzner on Instagram, or you can email podcast at socialmediaexaminer.com. And if you're new to this podcast, be sure to hit the subscribe button because I've got an incredible lineup coming your way. Let's now transition to this week's interview with Nick Nimmin. AI has been a massive disruptive force over the past year. That's why we're excited to announce our brand new show, Introducing AI Explored. It's a weekly show hosted by me, Michael Stelzner. If you want to understand how to put AI to work, this is the show for you. Each week, we'll dive deep into using AI to your advantage. We're talking the practical, tactical stuff that I know you're probably craving. Search for AI Explored on your favorite podcast app and happy listening. Helping you to simplify your social safari. Here is this week's expert guide. Today, I'm very excited to be joined by Nick Nimmin. If you don't know who Nick is, you need to know who Nick is. He's a YouTube expert. His YouTube channel has over 650,000 YouTube subscribers, and it's dedicated to helping YouTube content creators thrive on the platform. He's also host of the Comments Over Coffee podcast, a show focused on YouTube. Nick, welcome back to the show. Thanks, Mike. I appreciate it. Happy to be back. Happy to be talking about YouTube as always. Always a good time to uh, you know have a, have a nice, fun conversation about YouTube. That's for sure. Well, today, Nick and I are going to, you guessed it, talk about YouTube and in particular, what marketers need to know about the platform. So Nick, let's start with this question. Why should marketers, and there's some, you know, everybody listening kind of classifies themselves as a marketer. We've got a lot of business owners, but they listen to the show because they want to understand the marketing angle of things. So why should they pay attention uh, to YouTube uh, now? What's your thoughts on this? Well, when it comes to YouTube, especially compared to the other platforms that are out there, um, of course, you know, most people these days, especially marketers, would know that it's the second largest search engine, which makes it extremely powerful just by that alone. But another humongous bonus with YouTube is when you are uploading your video content to YouTube, you're not just tapping into YouTube and the power of YouTube. You're tapping into YouTube. You're tapping into Google. You're tapping into Bing. You're tapping into DuckDuckGo and any other search engine that has, you know, any type of search result to where they show any type of videos. And because of that, you're basically amplifying your reach across all of the different ways that people can possibly find your content just by uploading one video to YouTube. 
I got a quick question. So when you throw out Bing and DuckDuckGo, that immediately piqued my curiosity because Google, get it, they own YouTube. But are you telling me that those guys also index YouTube videos pretty high? Yes. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So so right now, for example, if you go to Bing, in addition to some topics showing up on the um, the actual search results page immediately, in addition to that, they also have video tabs. In those video tabs, people can also find your content there as well. Mm. And, you know, I'm a big fan of increasing as many advantages as possible and removing as many disadvantages as possible. And I think when you are uploading to someplace like YouTube to where it's spreading you out across all of these different places or these different avenues that people can find you, in that situation, you're just creating all of these little tiny advantages, even though they might not be as popular as Google, people still do use them and people can still find you through those different avenues. So it's a huge win just by, you know, uploading one single video to YouTube, you have the opportunity to be distributed across all of these different forms of discovery for people, um, for people actually, you know, finding you. Cool. But in addition to that, YouTube itself, you know, you have the opportunity to create an entire channel based around you or your content that will help you get in front of the right audience on YouTube. Like one example that I like to give around like the right type of content is like if you take a real estate agent, for example, most real estate agents will take the marketer's approach, which is, you know, I'm going to upload videos. I'm going to talk about myself, talk about how awesome I am. I'm going to put some testimonials up there and things like that. But the win with a real estate agent is they don't even have to do that sort of thing, right? They can upload videos to YouTube just being the person about town, just being an expert on their area and going to all the different festivals and all the different things around town. They can bring attention to themselves that way through YouTube because it's it's entertainment, right? Entertainment can be, or YouTube can be used as entertainment as well. So they're that person about town and then they also just, as a side thing, let people know that they also do real estate. So then they become known as that person around town. However, through the power of parasocial interaction on YouTube or parasocial relationships, then people get to know, like, and trust that person through getting their feedback on all the different events they're going through and things like that. And then they can be at the top of their mind when it comes time to hire them, you know, for a real estate service, for example. So I think, you know, marketers can take a similar approach. It's not all about, you know, hey, this is what I'm awesome at. It's more about, you know, hey, what what can I do to get in front of the right people? And how can I upload these videos to YouTube that are going to get me in front of that right audience? And how can I make an entire channel for people that's a resource that people are just going to keep coming back to over and over and over again? I think that's a really powerful thing about YouTube. So for example, if you look at Facebook, if you upload something to Facebook, even if you have a Facebook page, it's organized in kind of a weird way and it's hard to find old stuff and you really got to dig around in order to find, you know, what it is that you want from somebody on Facebook. But on YouTube, the way that they organize things, you can sort by most popular, you can sort by date range, you can sort, you know, around, you can, the, the, as the content creator, the person uploading videos to YouTube, they even have the opportunity to structure their channel page in a way that's going to funnel viewers into the content that is most important for those viewers to watch or the content that's most important to those viewers. So just from the approach of using YouTube by itself, you know, is just a huge advantage. I got a couple of quick questions on this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Real quick. Sorry. Um, I love this. First of all, commentary and then question. Uh, I want to come back to the word parasocial because I don't think I've heard that before. And I want you to describe what that means. But what I love about what you're talking about here is it's no different than what people do on the podcasting platforms, right? Or what they've been doing on blogging for those of us that have been around a little bit longer, right? The idea that you can create media of some kind, right? The written word, the spoken word in the case of blogging and podcasting or visual media in the case of YouTube, right? To draw an audience to you really is content marketing. And that's what I love about what you were saying and why it's so powerful. Talk to us about what you mean by parasocial because I'm not sure I've heard that phrase before. 
So parasocial relationships or parasocial interaction is the idea of one-sided relationships. So typically, this is applied to Hollywood. Um, So like, let's say, for example, that you have your favorite TV show that you watch. Um, During the time that you're watching that favorite TV show, when you first start, you don't really know the characters. But as you watch that TV show more and more, over time, you start to develop an understanding of the personality of the characters. And you start to feel like you know the characters. So if one character walks into a room, let's say Kramer walks into a room, Mm -hmm. then you know that, you know, something, you know, crazy is going to happen, right? So you get to build up these expectations of these different characters because you feel that you get to know them. Now, this is such a big thing in Hollywood that when celebrities will meet people out in the street, they'll expect that celebrity to act like what it is that they see on TV or in a movie. Mm. And they'll call them by the name that they see in the TV or movie, right? So they've gotten to know them as that person and that's who they are, but they like them and they know them as that person. Now, in Hollywood, the difference between them and YouTube is that in Hollywood, almost everything that we watch, not everything, but almost everything that we watch, it's done from a fly on the wall point of view right? To where you, you're watching other people interact with each other, you're watching things happen, but they're not really communicating much with you, if with you at all. On YouTube, that whole dynamic gets shifted because what happens is we as content creators in most types of content, we're literally talking directly to the camera. We're talking directly to our audience. Uh-huh. So that parasocial relationship gets intensified on YouTube and it's so powerful. I don't have the stats in front of me, but I think it's like uh, somewhere around like 70% of millennial teens feel that their uh, favorite YouTube stars, keep in mind, they've never met these YouTube stars or these you know YouTube people that they follow. They feel that they're, they're, uh, the people they watch on YouTube know them better than their friends in real life do heavy, right? Mm. You know, it's funny because I've heard of the third wall before, like in film, right? Where you never look at the camera, right? Except with game shows, right? Well, they'll look at the camera, Mm -hmm. but traditionally you're not looking at the camera when you're watching television, right? You're an outside observer, but with YouTube, you're generally talking directly to the camera as if you were talking to the person on the other side, which is really interesting that you talked about that. And I would imagine, I know this because we've experienced this at VidCon, right? This crazy fanaticism (laughs) amongst young teens, right? Who go nuts over these quote unquote, YouTube celebrities, right? Like they feel like they know them at a level that's like crazy, like Elvis Beatles kind of fanaticism, right? And it's probably because of what you're talking about, right? And and the funny thing is, is you don't even have to be, you know, a big content creator, like a famous one for that to happen. I'm sure you've had times where you went to conferences and I'm sure that audibly this something similar probably happens as well. Right. Um, but I'm sure that you've had times where you went to conferences to where either people have seen you on video or they've heard your podcast to where they're like, oh, you know, I feel like I've known you because I've been, you know, watching or listening to you for right. a long time. Right. I've had people at conferences tell me um, that they actually look at me and my brother because they participate in our live streams on Nim and Live, um, that they... Uh, participate in our live streams every week and that they actually feel kind of like they're one of our brothers that we're mm-hmm. not actually related. But they said that when they watch our show and they interact uh, with us, you know, through the chat and things like that, that it makes them feel like they're actually part of the family and that they're part of that brother dynamic. And this is before, you know, my channel was even big. Um, I've also had where I went to conferences as well to where people do say a similar thing to where they're like, you know, man, I feel like I've, I feel like I've known you, you know, I feel like I know like, you know, everything about you and I feel like we're buddies already. And, you know, all of this stuff. And in some of those cases, you know, some of the times, you know, I've had interactions with them on on the internet, but in other situations, like I've had zero or hardly any communication with them at all. 
but they still feel that way just because video after video after live stream after video after live stream, they continue to interact with me from that one-sided perspective. So it's extremely powerful. Yeah. And let's marketers, let's remember people do business and they share and evangelize those whom they know, like, and trust. And there is no better way, in my opinion, than video. So is there any other stuff you want to mention before I go to my next question is about the value? Because we've got a bazillion other questions to talk about. (laughs) Yeah, we can go on to the next question for sure. (laughs) So let's talk about how are marketers using YouTube wrong? Because I'm sure a lot of us are making some of these basic mistakes. So let's go through some of them. Sure. So when it comes to marketers, a lot of marketers will kind of base the entire channel around them and their talents. So they're looking at it more of like it's a commercial instead of it's a place to where people can come and get value from them. So, you know, like just to put it into a little bit of perspective, how many times have you went onto YouTube, Mike, and you've said to yourself, man, I really hope a good testimonial gets recommended to me on my homepage. (laughs) Right. It it just doesn't happen. Right. Right. So, you know, that's what websites are made for. That's like saying, I want to see a great commercial when I turn on television. Right. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) At least you can appreciate some good commercials, though. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) But with the, uh, you know, with the testimonials, a lot of people will upload a lot of testimonials and things like that. And they're thinking of, hey, this is going to make me look great. However, what they're not thinking is YouTube is going to start initially until it dies because nobody responds to it, but they're going to initially start recommending this stuff out to people that you are missing the opportunity to get in front of because you're uploading a testimonial video instead of a piece of content that would be valuable to that particular viewer. So to just kind of reframe the idea of what I mean by it's all about the marketer is marketers will also put content out there to where, you know, the whole thing is about like, this is our company. This is what it is that we can do. This is what we can do for you, that sort of thing, instead of thinking thinking, what is my, what is the people that I'm trying to reach? What is it that they actually care about? What are some of the problems that I can help them with that will lead them to my product or service as a solution, or that will lead them into my sphere of some kind to where I can become a regular in their life through the content that I'm putting out onto YouTube and that they're consuming from me, right? So instead of looking at it like a how do I just add value to the people that are coming in so that they get to know, like, and trust me, like you mentioned a minute ago, instead of taking the approach of how do I add value to them, it's more about, you know, hey, this is how great I am. This is what I'm into. And this is how I can add value to you instead of actually adding that value that's going to keep the people coming back. In addition to that, another thing that a lot of marketers will do incorrectly is that they'll assume that people know them, they know their company, they're familiar with their content already. They'll assume that just because somebody watches, you know, a video today that they're also going to watch all their videos in the future, or they'll assume that somebody watching a piece of content today has already watched a bunch of videos in the past. And because of that, they'll save things referencing other videos, or they'll use language to where people will need to have watched other videos in order to be even brought up to date. And that brings me into another thing, actually, which is the language that they use. You know, one of the things that I think has really helped me on on my end, and I don't want this to sound the wrong way when I say, you know, just dumbing everything down, but I try to not be fancy, you know, in, in my videos. I try to just talk to people like I'm talking to a buddy and I'm not trying to impress anybody or anything like that on my YouTube channel. And I think that people really appreciate that. And part of that is when I talk about things like, industry language in terms of click-through rate and audience retention and, you know, that sort of thing, I typically will explain to people what those things mean instead of just assuming that everybody knows what it is that I'm talking about. Because personally, 
I would rather them get the value from me so that they can keep coming back and I keep having the opportunity to interact with them or to expose them to different things that I'm bringing attention to or whatever it is. I would rather that happen than them look at me and think that, you know, oh, hey, Nick's smart because he uses, you know, a, a large vocabulary or uses a, you know, complicated vocabulary. So for me, I try to keep everything as simple as possible because I'm trying to connect you know, I'm trying to connect with, you know, as many people as I possibly can through the content that I'm putting out there. Now, with that said, I do understand that in, you know, that insider language is a very important thing. And I do understand that, of course, you know, if the people that you are trying to reach are at a certain level of understanding with things and you know that out of the gate, and you're not trying to reach people below that threshold, then, of course, that insider language is going to exclude the people that you're not trying to reach and it's going to better connect with the people that you are trying to reach. I absolutely understand that part. Um, but it's really important just to make sure that they don't make things too complicated for the people that they're speaking to so that they don't lose them in the process of communicating with them. What I love about this is everything Nick just said is just as relevant for audio and the written word, right? I mean, like it should never be all about you. It should be all about the concerns of your prospect or customers. You shouldn't assume that they know anything about you or the industry unless you are totally dialed in on exactly who you're trying to reach. And what else did you have to mention there? Did we hit everything? Yeah, other things um, as well, like no plan. You know, a lot of marketers back, like, hey, everybody's talking about, hey, I should do YouTube, but they don't really plan things out. They'll mm. sit there for, for a week getting a plan together for what they're going to do on Pinterest. They'll spend another week trying to figure out what they're going to do on Facebook. But when it comes to YouTube, because it can seem intimidating, instead of putting a plan together, it, it's an approach of, well, let me just put some videos up there about just some random things and just kind of see how people respond to them. Instead of thinking, this is my end goal. This is exactly what I'm trying to accomplish. Who is it that I need to get in front of in order to accomplish that thing? How can I add value to those people so they'll keep coming back for more so that I can keep, you know, exposing them to all the different things that I, you know, that I have to um, offer them. And that even comes down to on the planning side, you know, how are you going to put your content out? How often are you going to put it out? What events are you going to decide to make content around so that you can take advantage of those tentpole situations? You know, just putting out a full plan on, on what it is that you're going to do, just like you do with all the other platforms, because YouTube isn't any different. In fact, and, you know, YouTube is even more powerful than a lot of the platforms that people are currently using, but they don't look at it like it is. They look at it like it's something, you know, well, there's, you know, the kids are on YouTube or, you know, the people that are, you know, filmmakers are on YouTube and things like that, but they're not looking at it like it's like they can really generate some serious results in terms of whatever it is they're trying to bring attention to through their YouTube channel. So they're not taking it serious, which means that they, um, they're not putting together any type of plan in order to make sure that whatever it is that they're going on to YouTube for in the first place actually happens. What about, you know, at the end of videos, just direct selling? Talk to us about that, you know, yeah. sending them off to your sales page. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up. So I understand from a marketer's perspective, I understand the idea of, you know, you need to make sure that you are spreading awareness, that you're putting calls to action in your videos and things like that. However, it's also very important to understand that for YouTube, they're trying to keep people on platform. Now, you can have a high-performing video that does send people off platform, but what you want to do, especially when you're just getting started with your YouTube channel before YouTube has clearly identified who your audience is and before you really get any, you know, actual momentum going, is to be sending people off of your videos quickly. In addition to the end, people will do it at the beginning. 
they'll say things like, you know, oh, hey, welcome to the video. My name is XYZ, which is something that you should do. They'll say their website, which is something that you should do. But then before the actual content even starts, they'll say something like, you know, I put together this, you know, 10 steps to XYZ. Before we get into the content, we put together these 10 steps to XYZ. Um, you can download that PDF through the link down in the description. And what they do in that situation is they kill the video before they've even had a chance to get it moving. I know the thinking, right? I can imagine that retention graph. They're looking yes. at that graph and they're saying, okay, yes. I get the most people in the first 30 seconds, right? And they're like, that's where I'm going to do the pitch, but explain why they got it all backwards. Yeah. The reason you have it all backwards is because by doing that pitch in the beginning, you're killing your video. So you're looking at it as a short-term gain for a long-term loss instead of looking at it as a short-term loss for a long-term gain. So the better your videos perform on YouTube, the better your entire channel is going to be and the more that you can bring attention to everything it is that you do if you can just wait. <laughs> if you can just wait to put that call to action at the end of your video or even have videos that you don't even have the call to action. So I like to, to wrap this around the idea because a lot of marketers are familiar with this concept of of email marketing. And, you know, it's typical with email marketing to where people will, you know, put together their automated sequences to where they'll have, you know, a value email and then they'll have a sales email and then a value and then a value and then another sales email to where they're not just constantly hammering people with sales emails so that people don't, you know, jump out of the list and so they can continue to add value to people and they can see the value that that marketer has for them. The same exact thing applies to YouTube. I understand that there's a lot of work involved, you know, just making YouTube videos. There, there's a lot of time involved with that. And there's a lot of planning in terms of, you know, putting the content together. There's a lot that you have to do in terms of, you know, cameras and equipment and all that stuff. And I understand trying to get a return on that as fast as you possibly can. However, on YouTube, it's really important to think long term. So what I mean by that is when you're uploading videos now, think that those videos are going to live on YouTube for a very long time. I have videos on my channel. Actually, my very first video I ever uploaded to YouTube, I uploaded in 2014. That video still gets views today. I have an opt-in at the uh, end of that particular video, and I still get emails um, that you know people sign up for my email list from that particular video. And that video has been on there for a really long time. Right now, as we're having this conversation, there's videos being recommended on people's homepages that were uploaded 10 years ago. That's crazy. Well, yeah. that's a perfect transition into let's talk about how YouTube works and why it's totally different than Facebook, because almost everybody listening is active on Facebook, but maybe not so active on YouTube. So let's explain kind of that in more detail, because I think once people wrap their brains around how it works, they'll understand why everything we've talked about, these mistakes, you know, they'll connect all the dots together. Sure. So the very first thing is, of course, YouTube doesn't, you know, force you to pay to play. And I know in the marketing space, especially for the Facebook people, that's huge. Because, you know, these days on, on Facebook, you know, you have to put some skin in the game in order to, you know, get any type of exposure there where YouTube is on the opposite end. YouTube wants people to find your content. They want people to enjoy your content. They're trying to dominate the streaming world with excellent content. If people like the content that you're putting up on YouTube, they're going to show it to people. You don't have to have ads on your videos. They actually limit you. You can't have ads on your videos until you have a thousand subscribers and 4,000 hours of watch time on your YouTube channel. So you can have high performing videos that don't even have ads in front of them because they just want users on their platform and they want users enjoying the experience that they're having on their platform so they can continue to dominate that market. So 
in comparison to Facebook, for example, the humongous difference is that, you know, you don't have to pay to play and that's huge and you can get tons of organic growth. Now, like we mentioned before, another thing with that is that YouTube is a search engine and a prediction engine, like I mentioned earlier. And again, they do all of this for free. So the humongous win compared to Facebook is on Facebook, you're sitting there and you're trying to, you know, get this ball rolling on Facebook. And these days, you know, I understand that that's difficult. I'm not a Facebook person. You know, I'm a YouTube person. Yeah, it, you're for sure right. It's difficult. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but um, in terms of YouTube, the really cool thing with YouTube is because it's a prediction engine. And this is really important. And if everybody blows over everything else in this podcast, I really want this one to sink in. The Big difference with YouTube and, and and Facebook and the other platforms is because YouTube is a prediction engine, once they identify the right people for your content in terms of the people that respond positively to your content, they get a good experience out of your content, YouTube is going to notice, their system is going to notice, I should say, that a certain type of viewer that interacts with a certain type of content is not exposed to your channel yet or your videos yet. And what they're going to do is they're going to start identifying that some of the people that are watching your videos are also watching other videos that are similar to the types of content that you make. And then at this point, once their system recognized that, YouTube is going to start testing your videos against their audiences as well. And if you have a good fit in terms of people responding to your content when they are presenting them to the audiences of other people who make similar content to you, YouTube is going to essentially go out and start finding all of your customers for you. And the big win with that is when they do identify that audience, when you lean on the idea of, hey, we're not trying to force people off at the beginning of our videos, right? We're only going to have them going into opt-ins with some of the content that we're putting out. When you lean into that, and then YouTube identifies that when people hit your videos, they're not leaving, and they're staying on your video for a long period of time, or some of your videos for a long period of time, they're watching additional content on your channel, which means they go and they watch one of your videos, and then you recommend another video in your end screen, and then they click on that, and they go and watch that one, and then another one. But once YouTube identifies that, you know, that right audience for you, then YouTube is going to go out and they're going to find all those customers for you. So then what happens at that point in time is your channel starts generating serious momentum and then you start creating a flood of leads and sales and whatever else it is that you're trying to do with your YouTube channel based on YouTube finding that right audience and then continuing to show your content to them over time. And then on your end, all you have to do from that point in time is just take note of these are the videos that people are responding to and I'm, you know, looking in my audience retention reports, which is basically just a minute by minute report of how people are, or a second by second report of how people are responding to your content. And I'm getting an idea of things that I can do better within my content to give an even better viewer experience. And you just keep uploading to YouTube. That's it. Keep uploading to YouTube and then YouTube does all of the hard work for you. It's incredible. I would love to just add a little bit on this if you're cool with this. So, so on Facebook, yeah. when you put a post on Facebook, a tiny little fragment of your audience is ever going to see it. But they're only going to see it for maybe, if you're lucky, 24 hours and never mm -hmm. again, unless a couple random situations happen. Now, the reach is really, 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 really dead after about a day. Wow. The exception on Facebook is some videos can show up in the watch platform and get exposure. But most everything on Facebook has a shelf life that is in minutes and hours. Okay. Now, on YouTube... What's great about YouTube is if we remember who owns YouTube, which is Google, and we remember that Google knows 
whether you're logged into YouTube or not, they know the websites you're visiting. They know because they've got Google Analytics, right? They know what you're interested in. And when you start, even if you're, this even works on television. If you start watching videos, they just know what you're interested in because they've got so much more data than you could possibly imagine. And they just are really, really smart with recommending more content to keep you engaged on the platform. So, you know, this recommendation engine is so critical that Nick was talking about because it's not just search queries, right? It's not just YouTube search and it's not just Google search, which is another huge advantage, but it's the idea that when you're watching a video and you're in a viewing session, that these other videos that seem to be related that you might be personally interested in are just lifted up. And that's kind of like unheard of on Facebook, right? Because the idea is for them to just keep feeding you amazing content. So the idea that you can be discovered on YouTube is absolutely monumental. It's almost right up there with Google search, right? It's like ranking, except it's very much customized for each user. Is that correct, Nick? Without question. And a lot of people will look at YouTube and they only think of the search engine aspect of it, which, you know, search is extremely powerful and it shouldn't be something that you overlook. But the recommendation part is extremely powerful. So what's really important to make sure that you are doing when you're putting your titles together and you're thinking of the videos that you're going to make is that you want to make videos that are good in both places. So you want to make sure that if you are targeting search with your content, so you can get that, you know, long term, you know, search engine traffic coming in. You also want to make sure that you're adding compelling elements to your titles as well and to your thumbnails. And the reason for that is because, you know, like Mike was talking about a second ago, when you log into YouTube on your TV or on your phone and YouTube is recommending content to you, that's going to happen to other people with your content. So when your content happens to people on YouTube, not content that they were looking for, but when it just happens to them, it just shows up on their homepage, it shows up next to another video that they're watching, you want to make sure that whatever it is that you're doing with your titles and your thumbnails is compelling enough to where you would be able to grab their attention, they'd be able to identify that your piece of content is for them, and there'd be something compelling about it that would make them want to uh, actually click on it and then come in and watch in your video. So a lot of people will just think when it comes to YouTube that, hey, I just need to you know, add a, a keyword or a keyword phrase to my title and then I'm good to go. That's not it at all. So if you're just targeting search, it's easier if you do it, if you do that particular thing. But if you add your keyword to keyword phrase, you also have to add additional compelling things to it for the sake of the other features on YouTube. Because yes, it's the second largest search engine in the world. Yes, you can also rank in other search engines as well. But the the big, humongous amount of traffic that you can also tap into is that recommendation uh, side of things like Mike was just uh, talking about. And the, the beauty of what you were saying, Mike, about how they're so good at the recommendations, not only do they figure out what it is that you like to watch, but they figure out what time of day you like to watch things, what devices you like to watch things on at certain types of day. You know, like for example, let's say that you are a TV user and you're watching YouTube all the time on TV. Well, let's say that you are a quality junkie and because of that, you're only watching videos that are 4K. Over time, YouTube is going to identify that and then the likelihood of you seeing only 4K videos or a higher percentage of 4K videos is going to increase because their systems identify that that's the stuff that you actually click on and watch. Okay, now there's a lot of people listening right now, like me, who were all over Facebook in the beginning and drunk the Kool-Aid and built their house on the Facebook's rented property, if you will, and then Facebook stripped it all away. And some people are like, man, I don't want that to happen on YouTube. I'm concerned that if I go all in on YouTube, they're just going to take it all away. 
What do you want to say to people that are concerned about building their video home on the YouTube rented land, if you will? Well, one, I think that the idea that if you put content up on a particular platform and it goes away, that that's going to be some huge loss. I think that that's just incorrect thinking. And the reason that I think that is like my channel. Well, let's just take me, for example. So I put years and years and years into my YouTube channel. I have over 400 videos on my YouTube channel currently. If my channel were to die tomorrow, don't get me wrong, I would be bummed out. (laughs) That'd be a horrible day, a horrible thing to wake up to. However, the skills that I've developed, the influence that I've generated over that time, the overflow to other social media platforms because of my YouTube channel, I would be able to regain my footing somewhere, if not even on YouTube, I'd be able to regain my footing somewhere just based on all the things that have come from that. And in addition to that, just learning how to use YouTube as a tool I'll be able to carry that information in terms of all the different things that I've learned around YouTube and using that as a, you know, traffic generator and as a way to present to people on video and share information and all of that. I'll be able to take that information to any platform that I want to take it on forever until that I just, until I just can't make videos anymore. You have the original videos too, right? So you can always republish them somewhere else if you wanted to. Yeah, can always republish them. Um, Some of them only have YouTube specific language in them in terms of subscribing and, you know, things like that. Um, So some of them would be better repurposed than others. When it comes to building your platform on rented land, we're on the internet. Everything is rented land. Even even when it comes to your own website, that's pretty much the only thing that you really have as long as it doesn't get hacked or anything like that. But even like, let's think of emails. People for a long time and even still, you know, email is a valuable thing. However, email has even taken a hit. Right. To where, you know, as soon as Google started introducing the filtering inside of Gmail, then right out of the gate, bam, email open rates went down. Right. Right. So anything that we do on the Internet is on rented land, so to speak, or at least, you know, least in a way to where it's not 100 percent in our control. And because of that, I really encourage people to take advantage of any of the platforms that you're interested in, take advantage of those platforms, learn the skills that you need to do in order to really thrive on a platform. Like, you know, you mentioned before that you have a lot of people on Facebook that might be listening to this. If you've developed those skills of making content on Facebook, you've already won half of the battle to get onto YouTube and to thrive on YouTube. So because of that, even if your Facebook page or your Facebook group were to get shut down, you're already light years ahead of everybody else that's coming onto YouTube that doesn't even know where to start because you've already went through that process of developing those skills in order to um, be able to thrive on, you know, pretty much any platform that you, that you attack, so to speak. Well, and the other thing I think you have to ask yourself is what's the mission of the parent company, right? So in the case of Google, it's all about content, 100%. Everything that they do with search And with YouTube is embracing the discovery of content where that's not the case with Facebook properties, right? With Facebook, it's about short, quick communication, right? Like in the case of their messenger property or WhatsApp or in the case of Instagram, you know, it's really just all about like, if you will, just really short kind of utilitarian escape kind of stuff. That's not, it's not really about the content, right? Like nobody typically interacts with any post on any of Facebook's properties for more than seconds. So their mission really is to just provide something that brings people back over and over again. But it's it used to be about the content, but it's not about the content anymore. So as long as you know what you're doing is embracing the mission of the company, then you shouldn't be worried, in my opinion. And I think the upside to YouTube is right up there with Google search, and it's massive. So this brings my next question, which is, all right, so... I'm sold, Nick. 
on the value of YouTube, but how should I actually do marketing? Because what I'm hearing you say is, hey, you gotta, it's all about keeping people on the platform and it's all about those longer sessions. And so how do we actually get a little marketing accomplished? Uh, What's your thoughts and tips on that? Yeah. So when it comes to marketing, just like anything else, um, just like anything you're going to approach with your marketing, it's important to, you know, think of what you're trying to accomplish first. And then from there, figure out, you know, who it is that you actually need to be in front of in order to accomplish that and what type of content you need to make in order to make that happen, like I mentioned earlier. But when it comes to the actual videos themselves, if you're using them for marketing, you want to think of YouTube as more of a community building slash awareness tool. So basically what I mean by that is when your videos open up, instead of trying to drive people into an opt-in right away, just introduce yourself quickly. And while you're introducing yourself, you can do clever things. Like you could say, I'll use you as an example here, Mike. You can say, you know, I'm Mike from socialmediaexaminer.com and today we're talking about XYZ. Hmm. So what you just did is you just introduced them to you in that situation and then you told them about your website in that situation. So what you've just done, if you spread a little bit of awareness right there with every single video that opens if you decide to do that. Now, again, you don't want to next try to drive them into a PDF or any type of email opt-in or try to drive them to your website or anything like that. The next step is value. You have to add value to people on YouTube in order to keep them coming back, in order to keep them in your videos so that your videos can perform well. So the, the more you can get people to click and watch your videos, the more people that are going to hear, I'm Mike from socialmediaexaminer.com. Mm. Okay. And then from there, as your video continues on, Towards the end of your video, um, you had actually um, touched on this earlier, but towards the end of your video, you do not want to tell people that the video is over in any way, shape, or form. You want to, and and by that, I mean, you don't want to say things like, and that's how you, and that's my thoughts on, you know, X, Y, Z. Because what what happens there, and you can see it in every type of content when this happens. The same thing happens on my podcast too, right? Where everybody who listens knows when it's over and they don't typically listen to like the last probably 60 seconds of it because they know it's done. <laughs> yeah. As soon as you start, uh, you know, giving those Signals. those indicators. Yeah. Yeah. Then it's like, oh, okay, well, the video is done. I, I got what I came here for. I'm out of here. So when it comes to the end of your video, you want to make sure that there's something on the screen that they can click on to go and watch another one of your videos. Because ultimately what you want to do from a marketing standpoint on YouTube is you just want to have them watching as many of your videos as humanly possible so that YouTube can show you to even more and more people um, because that's where the real wins come from. Now, in addition to that, um, in some content, put a call to action to do something very specific in terms of, you know, at the end of your video, visiting your website or something along those lines, whatever it is that you're trying to get people to do from your video. In some videos, absolutely, you need to do that. So an approach that I like to recommend to people, and I do this myself, is I'll have what I call money videos. And those money videos are to where I will have one money video, and that's just a video on whatever topic it is that I'm pulling attention into that I'm going to be driving a lot of traffic off-site for. Those are typically tool videos and things like that. But I'll have the one money video, and then I'll make a bunch of value content around that money video, and then I will link in my end screen to that money video. Mm. And the idea there is that I have all of these high-performing pieces of content that are driving to another video. And then that additional video is also accumulating plenty of watch time. And then they end up going off of that video towards the end or the middle, wherever they happen to go off. But I'm only sacrificing that one video and not all the videos on the channel. But the win is I also have all these other pieces of content that are driving more traffic into that particular video. So by doing that, what I'm doing is I'm giving YouTube what they want and I'm balancing that with what I want as well in terms of driving people off of the site. Now, other things that you can also do depending on exactly what it is that you have to offer is let's say that you have a service. 
in that case, you can also make your service a topic in your actual content itself. So you can say things like, let's say that you do consulting, for example, then you could say things in your videos to where you reference what it is that you offer. So one thing that you can do if you have like a consulting firm, let's say that you're sharing a bunch of value-based content, you can say things, and this might seem insignificant, but I can tell you firsthand that this is a crazy effective. You can simply say, with one of my clients, we did X, Y, Z, and we got X. This is what I tell people to do even from stages too, right? Because it's so powerful because it sends the signal that you have clients and that you're a consultant, right? Exactly. Exactly. It it spreads that awareness. Hey, I have something to offer. So when you have that, it's not only do I have something to offer, but I'm already doing this thing with other people. (laughs) So, so, you know, so I have experience. So what you're doing in that situation is you are just spreading awareness about what it is that you are doing, but you're doing it in a passive way. And when you do that, as your channel starts growing, then what's going to happen is you're going to start getting a lot of emails of people that are reaching out and they're wanting to work with you because you add those words to a nice handful of your videos when you're putting them out. And a lot of people are just going to blow right over it. They're going to skip right over and not even notice. But for the people that are actually looking for what it is that you have, those people are going to are, are going to notice and some of those people are going to send you an email. Well, and it sounds like that's where you want to go to the About tab on YouTube and put a little description about what you do and ways to reach you, right? The actual video description as well. So the About Me tab, absolutely. But the video description is a lower barrier to entry, so to speak, in terms of just energy Uh exerted to get there. (laughs) But on your About Me page, absolutely, you have a business inquiry email there. But you also want to make sure that you're putting a little blurb or at least a way for people to contact you directly in your video descriptions as well, just because it's easy. It's right there on the video watch page. And they can go down and they can look at that while they're watching the video. They don't even have to leave the the video in order to do it. So what I recommend, and I'll just tell a really quick story, um, is... I was working with somebody once and I'm not doing that thing that we just talked about. I'm giving like an example here, (laughs) but I was working with somebody once and um, they hit me up and they wanted to be a fashion consultant. Mm -hmm. And the first question was, you know, how how are you letting people know that you're offering that service? And they said, well, I'm I'm, I'm not, I don't have any way, you know, for them to like contact me about anything. And I told him, I said, okay, we'll do this while you're working on your website. That's going to list out everything. Go ahead and just let people know in the end of your videos um, that you're offering the service and put an email address that says, you know, you can hire me as a fashion consultant down in your video description and they can just email you. It doesn't have to be anything fancy. Just take the action to, you know, get the ball rolling. And um, they did that within their first two weeks, they got their first client. So, you know, cool. just by spreading awareness and putting that but that information down in the description and letting people know in the video, and this is another really important part of it, is letting people know that you have links in the description as well. Um, because in a lot of cases, if you're not actively pushing people to your description, a majority of people aren't going to click on your description and they're not going to go down there. But you want to increase that by letting people know that you do have things down in the description for them or to contact you in the description or, you know, whichever approach that you want to take with that. Do you want to put that at the end of the video with maybe text over the top or do you want to verbally say something? You could do either or. I'm a big fan of just telling people, you know, get out into the description, you know, for, you know, that thing or I have links in the description for that. But you could do either or. Um, I've never tested the verbally versus putting it on an actual end screen before. um, So I'm not sure which one of those would be most effective. But just my personal approach is I just like to verbally tell people to go down there. And I'm actually starting to experiment with a thing right now um, to where I'm telling people, you know, I've got, you know, a bunch of things for content creators down in the video description. I'm mentioning that in live streams and stuff like that now just to see if I can increase the rate of people going down there and clicking on things as well. What about pinning comments? Yeah. Pin comments are great for sending people into additional content. It's also great for um, letting people know that they could hire you or, or what your product or service is. 
some friends of mine in the YouTube space has gotten feedback from YouTube about being able to send people directly off-site from a pinned comment. But one of the things that is in the um, community guidelines is you're not allowed to do things on YouTube. You're not allowed to make posts specifically for the reason of driving people off-platform. And I try to play it as safe as I possibly can. So because of that, I personally don't use the pinned comment for that reason just to be on the safe side. Um, but I do have some friends in the YouTube space um, too, actually, who have said that they've talked with YouTube people about it and that you can send people directly to, you know, offers or to your own website or whatever directly from your um, video description, or not your video description, but from your pinned comment. But it's just not something that um, that I'm personally comfortable with just because it's one of those gray areas on YouTube. And, uh, you know, when it comes to these platforms, I'm, um, you know, I personally don't like to roll that dice in that situation. Right. But one thing that you can do is once you do hit the 1,000 subscriber, 4,000 hours of watch time threshold, then they actually allow you to connect your website. And when you connect your website, you can put a, a an in-screen element on your end card. And on your end card, you'll have a direct link, a clickable link on your end screen to where you can send people directly to your website as well. Um, the same exact thing goes with the YouTube cards um, to where you could also send people directly to your website from that. Um, but in that situation, that's another one of those opportunities to where it might sound fantastic with the card, but I would wait until they get to your end screen to actually send them off to your website. On the pinned comment, does it appear above or below the description? It appears above the description. So, well, you actually have the option. If you, it depends where you're looking at it. So if you're looking at it on a phone, for example, um, you have to actually click a little down arrow on your phone in order to get down into the description at all. Got it. Okay. Which is kind of lame. But the description technically in that situation would be above the comments. I mean, it's all like right there within view. Got it. Yeah. So it's basically like your title and then like, you know, the sharing information, then your channel and then the actual comment section. But you can click that down arrow to actually open up the video description. But on a mobile device, by default, it's closed. And from a marketing perspective as well, that's one thing that I really want to encourage people to do is you also want to go through the entire flow of your channel. Um, because, you know, as you can hear with Mike and I right now, we're kind of going back and forth on, you know, like a few different options that you have on how you can use this. And all of them are, are great options. But what you want to do is you want to go through and actually use your phone and your computer and even your TV so that you can get an idea as a marketer, because it's important to know these things, to get an idea of the different options that people do have on your channel to find additional information. So look at it on your video watch page, look on your actual channel page as well. Um, go to your About Me tab, like Mike was talking about earlier. And in addition to that, once you meet the requirements, you, you'll also get a community feed as well. And in that community feed, you can also bring awareness to additional things also. But when you do that, that's another one of those situations that I recommend that you take a safer approach, so to speak. So if you were to share something in your community feed or a pinned comment, that's another one of those great opportunities to just send somebody to your money video instead of sending people directly off platform from that particular thing. So you would be recommending that other video that would send them off from the video content instead of making a post in your pinned comment um, or in your community feed that would send them directly off site from the community feed or your pinned comment. Nick, this has been solid gold. If people want to track you, check you out, where can they find you? Uh, they can find me at nicknimmon.com. Um, all the things that I'm involved with are over there. Um, that's N-I-C-K-N-I-M-M-I-N.com. And then on YouTube, can they find you there too? 
Absolutely they can. Um, if they go to nicknimmon.com, then they'll see all the stuff, the comments over coffee, the YouTube channel, Perfect. Um, all the different things that I have there. Awesome. But absolutely, if you if you just look for Nick Nimmin on YouTube or Google, then then all roads will lead to Rome, so to speak, um, in terms of <laughs> taking you to my YouTube channel. <laughs> Nick, thanks again so much for sharing all your wisdom and insights with us. Thank you, Mike. Thanks for having me on. I really, really appreciate it, man. Thank you. By the way, if we said anything and you missed them, we take all the notes for you. Simply visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash 423. That's where you can get all the show notes. And if you're new to this show, hit that subscribe button. And by the way, if you've been a longtime listener, would you let your friends know about this show? If you want, you can tag Stelzner on Instagram. This brings us to the end of yet another episode of the Social Media Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner. I'll be back with you next week. I hope you make the best out of your day and may social media continue to change your world. The Social Media Marketing Podcast is a production of Social Media Examiner. If you're like so many fellow marketers and creators and entrepreneurs, you're probably wondering, how do I put AI to work? Well, be sure to listen to the AI Explored Podcast, a new show from Social Media Examiner, hosted by yours truly, Michael Stelzner. Again, check out the AI Explored Podcast.